Please turn with me to Romans chapter 2, which is read the first three verses, the same passage that Brother Ryan read for us this morning. Romans 2 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for your blessings upon us this morning. Just thank you for the sweet communion that we had with you, for this wonderful fellowship, the relationship that you have blessed us with because of the work of your Son, because of your immense love for us. We just pray that you'd be blessed and honoured with the message today, or that you would guide our hearts into your truth, that you would teach us your ways, and Father, that you would use me simply as an instrument in your hand, that I, I might be a blessing to my brethren here, or that we might all be drawn closer to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a particular story that Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. Mm. Uh, when I first became a Christian, he was, became one of my favourite authors, um, very good speaker and, uh, and writer. Anyway, Chuck Swindoll was at a, a pastor's conference in California, um, at a California Christian camp. And on the first day of the conference, he was speaking there on multiple days. Uh, a fellow came up to him and said how, uh, how he had looked forward to hearing him speak at the actual conference. And he'd been waiting for a long time to hear him speak. And how delighted he was, he was finally able to actually be there at one of the conferences where he was. And uh, that evening, um, uh, Swindoll came to the, the pulpit and, uh, and started uh, preaching or sharing a message. And he noticed a fellow sitting in the first couple of rows. But within about 10 minutes, he fell asleep. <laughs> and so he thought to himself, um, oh, maybe it was a long drive to get here. And so he's, you know, worn himself out. And um, the next night, a fellow once again was sitting in the, close to the front and, and Swindoll saw him again. And within about 10 minutes, he was asleep again. And that happened on the first night, the second night, the third night, and I think even the fourth, if there was a fourth. And by the end of it, he became exasperated because he's thinking, this guy came up to me. And he said he'd been waiting so long to hear me speak and how excited he was to hear me speak. But, you know, he's fallen asleep within the first 10 minutes of, you know, of what I have to say. I think he went for an hour as well, by the way. <laughs> so he became exacerbated with this particular fellow. On the last night, um, the fellow's wife uh, came to uh, Swindoll to apologise for him. And because he had fallen asleep throughout his messages, and she said to him that um, uh, he'd been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And the medication that had been given him made him sleepy, and so because he was in such pain. And that um, one of his lifelong ambitions was to hear him speak, and that now before he died, he said he could, he was happy because that was one thing that he'd done. So you can imagine the way he felt after that. He felt probably foolish. He felt guilty because he had judged the fellow without having all the information. And so we're looking at this topic of righteous judgment. 
We've all been victims of unrighteous judgment, which means judgment that is half-baked, doesn't have all the information, is judged according to the flesh, or is hypocritical in, in certain ways. We've all been victims of that throughout our lives, maybe once, maybe twice, probably more often than not. When people pass judgment on us without hearing our side, how does it make us feel? It makes you feel sad, it makes you feel maybe even angry when it's because you don't you know that it's actually not right. But just as you may have been judged unrighteously by other people, maybe they, they, uh, they judged you in the wrong way, it's also very likely that you've judged other people as well. And that we aren't alone or we aren't just victims in this whole thing because by our very nature, by our fallen nature, we easily fall into that trap of judging others. And when we judge others, we sit as God, as a judge. And the purpose of this series is to help us not fall into that particular trap. So last week we began to just look at the subject of righteous judgment. And it's not just unrighteous judgment. Well, I'm trying to share with you what not to do first, things to be aware of, because we easily fall into them before we look at the definition of righteous judgment and how to do it. So we are going to come to the positive part of the, of the series, probably starting next week. And last week we looked at this passage in Matthew chapter 7. So if you turn back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, we'll read that in a moment. Jesus warns his listeners not to judge, because they will be judged by the same manner in which they judge others, in which you judge others. And God views hypocritical judgment as a very serious thing. When we judge others, we sit on a very unstable throne. That's not ours. And it's a place that should not be comfortable for us. In this, in this position, which we're not being necessarily called to, um, we run the risk when we judge other people of judging unrighteously. And we risk the judgment of God upon ourselves. Yes, even for the believer. Because God judges his own people. God disciplines his own children. And so when they dishonour him, he disciplines them. And he judges them. And so it's, it, it's important that we understand how seriously God takes this matter of judgment, especially when we judge other people from a moral point of view. When we seek to take the law of God and we apply it to other people's lives, okay? And we sit in that particular space. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 1, he says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? We'll just stop there for a moment. The lesson here is better to avoid moral judgment at all, and especially the consequences of your judgment on someone else. You see, when we tend to judge people, we don't just leave it at that. Because it then changes the way we act towards that person. It changes us as much as it affects them. Does that make sense to everyone? If I think someone is a lawbreaker or guilty of a particular thing, I'm going to be always be wary of that person in that particular way. I'm going to treat them differently if I sit as a judge upon them. 
And Jesus warns us better not to do that at all. Better to avoid it. Because if you don't do it right, you actually risk being judged yourself at the same time. God hates hypocritical judgment. And more often than not, people judge hypocritically. Because hypocrisy, by its very definition, is finding the faults in other people and passing judgment on them, but not recognising your own. We should make utterly sure when we do apply the laws of God to the lives of other people that we are not, as Jesus says, like the swine who have had pearls cast before them, who don't recognise what they're doing with that precious thing because the law of God is a precious, precious thing. But it's meant to be used in a specific type of way. And if you don't recognise the beauty and the power of the law of God, you, we can also fall into the trap that the Pharisees fell into, which is using the law of God unlawfully. Okay, And so we need to be very careful about how we use the laws of God when we apply them in judgment upon other people. The purpose of those laws, if you remember, in Romans tells us that they were given to show us our own sin. They were given to show us and to declare to us how far and how sinful we actually are before a perfectly righteous God. It's meant to show us the separation that exists between us and him and to actually lift him up higher because we are so low, because by nature we are sinners. And what it's meant to do is to draw us to Christ, is to drive us to Jesus, because he is the only way. And through him is the only avenue where we can be accepted by this holy and perfect God. So when we stand in judgment on other people, we are forgetting who we are. And we declare ourselves to be better than, than what we are. It's better to avoid them according to Jesus. Laws given by God were not meant to be used by us to judge others but rather to declare the holiness of God and to draw us to Christ. And the law, as beautiful as it is, and as perfect as it is, can be used unlawfully. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to pass judgment on someone else, you'd better make sure that you are not a lawbreaker yourself. Oh, hang on a minute. I am. Remember I gave this uh, example to you last week. If you... If you were sitting before a judge uh, and you, you were being accused of driving, you know, while intoxicated, but you knew that the drunk, the, the drunk, the, the, the judge himself was a drunkard, how comfortable would you be being past judgment by that person? How objective would that person actually be in their judgment? So we have to be careful that we don't become hypocrites when we sit in the seat of judgment. If we misuse the law, then we are in danger of being judged by the Lord of that law. And so it's better for us to avoid it. Which brings us to the passage today. So go back with me to Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And it says there, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou judges, thou, thou that judges doest the same things. 
But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. When God judges, he always judges judges perfectly. He knows all the information. He has a very clear view of what's going on. He doesn't make mistakes, and he's perfect. So there is no hypocrisy in God. We may easily find the fault in others in certain things. We may think ourselves fine because we don't do those particular things. Have you noticed that? You may not have a particular weakness in one particular in one area, and so you'll judge people who have a weakness in that area that you're strong in. But you forget that if you break one law, you've broken them all. And by very by our very nature, we are still law breakers. We still fall short. And if you were if you were to judge yourself, and I was to judge myself on the two laws that Jesus said encompassed all the laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbour as yourself. Which of us are not lawbreakers? Every one of us. We fall short of that each and every day of our lives. We fail to love our neighbour as ourselves. We fail to love God and give him all the attention that he and the worship and devotion that he that he deserves. And so when I sit in judgment on other people, I'm declaring myself to be a hypocrite. And the Jews had a similar problem. You know, when the church first started, you'll notice there's plenty of references to Judaizers. Plenty of references to the Jews who were causing problems within the church. Because within, within any church that was starting up, and many of them started from local synagogues, and then the Gentiles were being brought together with the Jews for the very first time, there was conflict that was going on. There was a lot of friction that was happening. Because the Jews who had been used to the word of God and had it and were following all the laws meticulously, had, when they got saved, found it very hard to let go of a lot of those things. And here you have these, these Gentiles who have no understanding of the law coming into the church and worshipping together and well, look at the way that guy's dressed. Look at the way that guy, look at the way he's behaving. Look at the food that guy he came in with a pork roll just before. The other guy's coming with a calamari uh, salad. And so what, they, what would happen is they would begin to judge the other ones because they weren't following the laws. That they, they would have been used to their whole life. You see, that was their whole culture. And so they said it was difficult for them not to sit in judgment and condemn the other ones because of their ignorance. The Jews had a similar problem. Turn to look at verse 17 in Romans chapter 2. Behold, thou art called a Jew. So he's not talking to the Gentiles, he's talking to the Jews. And re, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself are a guide of the blind, a light of them that are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? 
Thou that abhorrest idols, does thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonest thou God? So he's saying, if you're going to start judging them on all these matters, fair enough. But where are you sitting at? How are you? Because if you remember, when they speak, to, when they asked Jesus about these these specific laws, about whether it was committing adultery, whether it was uh, whatever it is, Jesus said it comes from the heart, the problem. And so when a man looked at a woman just to lust after her, without touching her, without talking to her, he's already committed adultery within his heart. So Jesus brought out the spirituality of the law that that the Jews struggled to, to accept. And so, so the Apostle Paul here is saying, if you're judging other people for maybe doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, are you doing the same thing? And he mentions the Jews specifically because they have all these different things about, they had this opinion about themselves. I'm more knowledgeable. I know more information. I've got a history in this stuff. I know God's word. Our people have known God throughout, all, throughout the ages. What a temptation to sit above those ignorant Gentiles who didn't have all that, who were coming in raw, uncooked, as it were, into the church, unrefined. Yet in calling them ignorant lawbreakers, they failed to recognise themselves as such and became hypocrites. And they and they fell into the, the warning that Jesus gave his, his disciples about allowing the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, to spread throughout them. You see, yeast is a... Uh, <laughs> it grows very quickly. It spreads quickly. Just with a little bit of, uh, of movement, it, it, it works its way through the whole dough, doesn't it? Yeast is never a good picture in the Bible. It's always a picture of something that's not good. We love our yeasted bread over here, full of air and fluff. It's light and fluffy. But in the Bible, yeast is, has negative connotations. So as a Jew, if you were in the early church, you might think it was necessary for you to, to educate these foolish Gentiles. To understand the meat they were buying from the marketplace. Hey, we know, we've known this for a long time, us Jews, that you know the, when you buy meat from the market, when you go there, that meat's already been sacrificed to another, another god. Did you know that? So you shouldn't be buying that meat from that. You should buy it only from kosher butchers around the corner. And yet, what were they doing? They were saying they were ignorant and stupid, and the very things they were bringing up to them wasn't necessary for them to even know. As Paul said, it doesn't matter. They bless all food. Probably better they didn't tell them. So the meat they were buying for their Sunday barbecue had been offered to idols. And so then this, this whole thing, and the, the Gentiles said, but I've bought that meat always. That's my local butcher. I know the guy. I don't think he's praying and all sacrificing meat to other things. No, he is, definitely. <clears throat> so then you put that person in a dilemma, in a moral dilemma now. And if they don't agree with you, all of a sudden, well, you're ignorant then. And so judgment and division comes about. So in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, you just turn with me there. Paul explains the problem 
and what leads to people judging other people. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Says, now, with touching things offered unto idols, he says, then we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet, as he ought to know. So we'll have a bit of a look at this in the coming weeks, this particular passage more in detail. But the point of the matter is that it's too easy when you have knowledge of someone else as in God, to feel boastful and proud about it, and then to use it as judgment on other people. And that's the challenge that the early Jews had in the church. And the problem was pride. And because of their pride, they were easily offended by the Gentiles. You know, when you're proud, when you have knowledge, you become proud, and someone who doesn't and doesn't accept your wonderful knowledge, your wonderful source of, uh, of information, um, you get offended by them. But that's not the way God's called us to live. By finding faults in other people. No, we are not called to find faults in other people. We're called to help each other, to be a blessing to one another. Instead of being judgmental of thy brother, because Jesus is because that you found that speck in their eye, you should be spending more time actually removing the plank that's in your own. Because it's a bit hard to see the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank floating around there at the same time. It's better just to focus on yourself, improve yourself, grow closer to the Lord yourself, and don't spend time judging other people. Then you'll be able to see clearly enough to help them, not to judge them. In Jesus' day, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, and those people were responsible for teaching the law. But Jesus at the same time warned his disciples that they better be careful about who they listen to and what they're being taught and what tradition they're actually following because they may be falling into the same traps as those people who Jesus continually used as an example of doing it wrong, of using the law wrongly. Instead, better to treat others the way you yourself want to be treated. When you've messed up, when you've sinned, when you've made a mistake. Because when we make a mistake, when we sin, when we mess up, when we have faults, when we can't get things right, when we misjudge, we like mercy. We like patience. We like grace. In fact, we expect it. So Matthew 7, 12, Jesus says, Therefore, all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So treat others as you would want to be treated if you were in their particular position, if you were in their place. And I'm not sure which one of us in this particular room today can say that they've never sinned or they've never messed up or that we don't mess up or that we get things wrong. How, how would you like to be treated when you, when you mess up? How do you like to be treated when you sin? Do you like mercy? I do. 
I like mercy every day. How long has it been? Or how long has it taken to fix up your faults? Everyone got all their faults worked out? And sorted out? No. No. We're all still works in progress, and we will be works in progress until we are glorified. And so we're all works in progress, each of us with different faults, each of us with different weaknesses, different problems. And so we all say, oh, I need grace from God. I need patience. And so we expect that from God. Obviously, we expect it, don't we? Because we know he's perfect, and we know how loving he is and how kind he is because he showed us that through Christ. Um, but if it's taken me this long to fix one fault that I've got, if it's taken me sometimes years and I'm still not where I want to be and we expect that from God, do you expect it from other people? Yes, we do. Of course we expect it from other people. So the next question is, if you expect it from other people and you expect them to be patient towards you with your faults, if you expect them to be loving towards you when you mess up and to be forgiving and to be merciful, and to be filled with grace, then we should be doing that first to them. But you might say, people aren't forgiving towards me. People don't show me grace. People don't give me mercy. People are angry with me. People aren't that way with me. Why should I be like that with them? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew seven twelve, whatsoever you would that men should do to you. That's the way you should do it then. The Lord does not say, do unto others as they do unto you. Or in the Mafia Code, do unto others before they do unto you. (laughs) No. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what we're being called to. And unfortunately, we have this uh, fallen nature within us that's more comfortable not doing that. Because that's harder to do. That's the narrower road to take. It's easy for me to find faults in others and judge them than it is for me to judge myself. And it's the same spirit that led Peter to ask Jesus. Remember when he said, you know, how many, Lord, how many times have I got to forgive my brother? This guy is messing around so much. He's offended me. He's sinned against me so much. How many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times 7. And Peter goes, but Lord, I haven't got a calculator to bring around me everywhere. (laughs) iPhones haven't been invented yet. How can I possibly keep track of 70 times 7? What, are you going to give a book? No. Jesus didn't leave any room for Peter. There's no room for Peter to sit in judgment upon his brother and condemn him and to finish him off and to cut him off. And that's what the message is for us. There's no room to sit in judgment, on the judgment seat and condemn your brother, even after you've lost track of all the sins that he's, he or she have committed against you. There's no room for any self-exaltation. There's no room for feeling higher than anyone else. And this was, as we said, it was a problem with the Pharisees. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Mm-hmm. 
So Luke 18, 9 says, And he spake this parable unto certain, now listen to these words carefully, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So who went down to his house justified that day? The publican. Not the other guy who was doing all this stuff. Did you notice the first verse? Mm -hmm. It's about those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others who weren't. The Pharisee's prayer was not about his relationship to God, nor did he recognise his position before a just and holy God, recognising how far short he felt. No, no, he boasted himself all the way to heaven. This is how good this guy thought he actually was. <coughs> And so he sits there comparing himself to someone who was obviously lower than him. And in doing that, he passed judgment on him, elevating himself to the position of God. And God says he doesn't bless people, doesn't give grace to people who exalt themselves in front of him. Don't exalt yourself above other people. Don't ever consider yourself higher than other people. It doesn't matter who they are. Even unbelievers. Because the temptation is, when we're sharing the gospel and talking to other people about the Lord and, and they just don't get it or they reject it, the, the temptation for us is, fool, I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I know more than you. The Bible tells us not to be like that, ever, ever. doesn't matter who it is we're talking to. We should always put ourselves under other people. Considering one another, especially within the church, higher than ourselves. And you need to remember also that when, when God saw us, and in the sinful state that we were in, the Bible says that he condescended down to us, which means he came down from his throne, came down to our level in order to save us. And that's what we've been called to do with everyone else. Having patience with them because God was patient with us. Having mercy having grace, showing forgiveness. That's how we should be with everyone else. So you're thinking at the moment of a person, aren't you, in your life, maybe, who's not good to you, who's been rude to you, maybe arrogant toward you. Maybe that person has done you great harm. And so the temptation is to write that person off and to forever cut them out of your life. That's not what God has called us to do. Bearing one another means carrying things. And sometimes that carrying can take many, many years. But you know what's beautiful? God gives you the grace to do it. When we behave like our Saviour, God gives you all the grace that you need. So let's not put ourselves in the position of the Pharisee who thought himself higher than the publican because that publican actually had a more righteous heart than he did. It's easy to find others who don't match our level of perfection. It's always easy to find the faults in others. Always easy to find other people who aren't as spiritual as you are, who don't, who, who don't do as much as you do. 
who aren't as mature as you are, who don't know as much of the Bible as you do, who don't have all the information that you have. But sometimes when we do that, in fact, all the time we do that, finding faults in them and comparing them to ourselves, we cause them harm and we cause ourselves harm and we dishonour God at the same time. And so one of our weaknesses is judging by the appearance of someone. Ever heard of first impressions, right? Who's been on a job interview recently? Paul, you've been getting a new job. No, not recently. No. <laughs> well, you know, you know that, that whole thing about don't judge a book by its cover, right? But the world is, every person does it. Every person does it. You know, because this whole thing about not judging a book by its cover means don't judge a person by their appearance, okay? Don't, don't, don't take the first impression you get of someone and then stamp that person like Cain was marked on his forehead for the rest of your life with that impression. It's best always to reserve judgment. Do you know how quickly, according to psychologists, people judge each other? Because they've done this test, you know. The first time you meet someone, do you know how long they reckon it takes for you to make to have an impression of that person, to actually make a judgment or assessment about that person? Because we've all been guilty of it, because we're trained in it, right? So they did this uh, this ex a series of experiments at Princeton University, and these psychologists Janine Willis and Alexander Todorov uh, did all these tests, and they and they re they found out that within point one of a second, a tenth of a second, you've made, you've made a judgment about someone. You like that? The first time you meet someone, you've made a judgment with less than a second, a tenth of a second, boom, I've got that person worked out. Just by the expression on their face, the way they walk, the way they look, the way they dress, how much hair they've got. <laughs> I feel sorry for people with no hair. That's how people normally judge other people. And we're built to do that. We're built to do that. And we, that's reinforced in us all the time because we are we make an assessment of everyone we see to see whether they're a threat to us, first of all. So, so you'll judge. Have you ever noticed you know, driving down the road and there's people who get very angry on the roads like that? And if, uh, and if you're, you're looking down... You will notice, you maybe you do this without even, um, without even realising it, but when you're driving and there's another car coming in the direction or you're looking at another car who's coming in the direction, you'll look to make eye contact with that person. You'll look, at, you'll look at the expression of that person's face because by the expression of their face, you can generally work out what they're about to do. All right? And if someone's very angry um, next to you because you've cut them off by accident, it's best not to make eye contact. <laughs> There's a um, there's a, a story that uh, H A Ironside points out, which is this this silly thing that we do, right? And he speaks about this uh, bishop um, who was heading on a transatlantic cruise or on a, on, a, on a ship on a on a big ship, like on an ocean liner, and he was sailing for Europe uh, from the US. Um, he, he got on board and found out that in his cabin there was another guy that he was going to be sharing with. And so after he, he saw the guy, he went straight to the, what's called the purser's desk. And um, he said to the purser, he said, um, uh, do you have a safe here? 
The first said yes. He goes, can I leave my gold watch and other things with you? Um, and explained ordinarily, he doesn't use the the you know the the safe of the actual thing. He goes, but look, he goes, I've just met the man who was uh, in my cabin. I'm sharing with, and uh, you know, I don't think I don't think he's entirely trustworthy. And the purser said, yeah, no problem at all. We'll take your stuff. We'll take care of it for you. No doubt the stuff. He goes, that's all right, Bishop. He goes, glad to take uh, care of him for you. The other man, just like so you know, the other man's already been up here and he, he did the same thing. <laughs> he obviously wasn't wearing his bishop's hat. <laughs> but if that's how quickly we judge people, within the first minute, we've made an assessment of them, whether they're trustworthy, whether they're not, or whatever else it is, imagine how many judgments we make about other people throughout our entire lives. As, as funny as that is, that story, it's actually quite sad when we think about how we judge people before we give them an opportunity to, to explain themselves. Now, when, when Philip, when Philip um, first met the Lord, the Apostle, when Philip uh, first met the Lord, he got excited and he went to Nathaniel. He said, Nathaniel, come and see this guy. Where's he from? He's from? Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> See, we've all got our prejudices. We all have our preconceptions and, and, and these mechanisms that we use to judge people automatically, where they're from, what car they drive, the way they dress, the way they talk, and all the different things. We put those all together and we wrap people up in a particular box very quickly. And then it determines how we treat them. But have to think about our saviour. He didn't spend time, you know, walking around with the highfalutin people. He didn't spend time with royalty. He spent time with everyday people, people who were the least educated, people who were the poorest, people who often didn't even understand half the stuff they were doing because he had compassion on them. And so we should be the same. So turn to John chapter 7 with me. We're almost done. Is my hour up yet? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus was judged by the Pharisees and by the Jews of his time because he did something that they automatically assumed was wrong. And so he healed them now on the Sabbath day. And these guys, looking at Jesus, because they've already judged him anyway, this guy who calls himself a prophet or whatever it is, how dare he? He's uneducated. He hasn't been through the, through the education system over here. He hasn't done a university degree. The guy's a carpenter. And he's calling himself a prophet. He's trying to teach us, you know. And here's Jesus. He, he heals someone on the Sabbath day. And they say, hang on a sec. Has he, which which one? He's broken a law. I'm sure he's broken a law here. And so John 7, 22 says, Jesus explaining, he says, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision. Now circumcision is done on the eighth day, right? Not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. So you still, on the eighth day, if it's a Sabbath, you still go and circumcise someone. And if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, 
Are ye angry at me? Because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Don't judge on just the superficial way. Don't add to God's law and make it more complicated than it needs to be. You see, they judged Jesus because he was healing a man on a Sabbath day. And Jesus goes, but you, you guys will circumcise someone on the Sabbath day because you're trying to keep that law. But you understand that one overrides the other, that one is higher than the other one. And that healing someone was more important than the Sabbath. And it might seem obvious to us. It's sometimes not obvious at all. Sometimes we think, oh, we'll make an assessment and we'll apply the, the law to that particular person or situation without knowing the circumstances behind it. And we have to be very careful of that, okay? Because what, which brings judgment upon us when we provide our subjective opinion about things and don't know all the details. But Jesus says that superficial judging by appearance was wrong. They looked at it, they said, no, nah, broken it. They'd already made, already had those preconceptions in their mind, but they were using the law the wrong way. Which means subjective judgment or judgment that's not observant of all the facts is wrong. And we are all, once again, guilty of taking the law of God and sometimes using it in the wrong way applying it to people in a very, very legalistic way and then judging them using that. Or it may be because we've been brought up a certain way that we expect other people to have exactly the same traditions as us or customs as us. I often laugh when I've, I've seen you know, missionaries who go to the you know, places like Africa or these, you know, these, um, these places that are really humid and they make them wear suits. I'm sure Jesus and the apostles weren't wearing a tie like this, you know, when they were getting together. There are certain things that are custom, and there are certain ways in which the law can be applied, but it needs to be done very, very carefully. So Jesus says in John 8, 15, ye judge after the flesh. He says he judges no man. We must be careful not to judge according to the flesh. When we allow the flesh within us, and I'm just quite wrapping up here, to rise up to judge another, it means what we've done is we've set ourselves on the throne as judge and we've taken our eyes off the actual Lord and understood where we are. There's only one judge and we have to be very careful when we judge. Otherwise we might be condemning ourselves. Now, Paul told the Corinthians, he goes, I can't talk to you as spiritual, but as carnal. Because you judge carnally. Because where I see divisions among you, and where I see infighting and all those types of things, it's telling him that there's carnality there. They're not judging righteously, but the flesh within them is still too strong. And they don't see it. And the, the problem that we have is that our flesh judges only on the appearance of the limited information that we have. We can't look in the hearts of other people. We don't know what they've been through. So when we judge someone else who has maybe committed a sin or done something wrong, you don't know. Now, if someone if someone walks into church you know, one day and, and I say good morning to them, and they don't say good morning to me back, okay? 
we shouldn't automatically think that person hates me or that person now, you know, should be, I should put that person aside because they haven't treated me, you know, with nice, the nicest thing that I deserve. There may be other factors that have come, that have come into play that I don't know about. Maybe that person had a, someone die in their life. Maybe something else is going on that I don't understand. So we should always be very careful about passing judgment on others. And it's only God that can look on the heart. We can't. So that makes us very inadequate judges too. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. First Samuel 16, just 6 and 7. What is it? 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Samuel. Chapter 16, verse 6. Now Samuel was you know, headed to David's family. He was about to crown. God wanted him to, to anoint a new king. And he looks at uh, Eliot and he says, Why, this has got to be the guy. This one's got to be the guy. Look at this guy. He's huge. Good looking guy. This would make a good king. Right? And so in verse 6 it says, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab or Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's what we can't do. I can't judge you properly because I don't know your heart. I can judge what you might tell me. I can judge on external appearance. I can judge on the limited things that I see you do. But that makes me still an inadequate judge. I have to be very careful about that. You know, we sometimes criticise one another unfairly. We don't know the circumstances of it. And we have to be very careful about that because there are plenty of other things that may come into play that we don't know anything about. There's a fellow called John Wesley. Most of you would know a fellow called John Wesley. He talked about a time that a particular um, man that he, that he knew, um, and he had little respect for him, this guy. He thought this guy was a very miserly guy and a covetous fellow. And so there was one day Wesley was organising a charity, organising collection, and the man put in a tiny amount. And Wesley went up to him and, um, and told him off. Okay? And after the incident, after he told him off, the man explained that he'd been living on parsnips and water for seven weeks, or several weeks, I should say. And Wesley was, I think, a little bit confused at that point because he knew he was earning more than that. But the fellow explained to him and said that after he got saved, after his conversion, that he, before he got saved, he had run up all these tabs in debt to other people, okay, in things that he wasn't supposed to be probably doing. And he said that um, he'd run up all these bills and he felt that he needed to pay those people back. And so he was skimping on everything and, and buying nothing for himself 
because his goal was to pay off all his creditors one by one. In his, his explanation to Wesley was, Christ has made me an honest man. And he said, but with all these, and so with all these debts to pay, I can only give a few offerings above my tithe. I must settle up with my worldly neighbours and show them what the grace of God can do in the heart of a man who was once dishonest. Wesley then apologised to the man and asked his forgiveness. And that's a glorious example of how we fail. It's easy for us to judge each other by the limited things that we see, but we don't know what's going on in the background. If Swindoll and Wesley and these types of men can make these sort of editors, then we can too. Now, I thank God that he can see my heart because no one else can. We should be very thankful that God understands us and what we're going through. He knows all the circumstances in our lives. I thank God not necessarily that he can see my heart because there's anything good there, but because I know that nothing good dwells in me, as the Apostle Paul says, other than him. And there's a reason that you and I can have so much joy in our lives is because despite the fact that he sees everything that's in us, despite the fact that he sees all the evil, and all the weaknesses, he still loves us. God bless you. Thank you.